I'm going to open this sermon from a poet, part of a poem from one of my favorite spoken word poets, Anis Mojani, in his poem, Here I Am. We all wanted that high school sweetheart. We wanted to be young in the 50s with meatloaves and sock hops and lawns, lawns so perfect they looked like Kirk Gable was kissing them. We wanted to be 13 and alive and meet a girl that was 13 and alive and to walk with her past the grandstands, to sit and hold hands with, to sit and kiss with, to sit and sit with like it was something you would miss, but that never was. We once went to bed, like between the bedsheets was a valley with dinosaurs still breathing. And now we captured these triceratops and brontosauruses, but even they were once they were opened up with the smoke that rose out of the homes and the corners that we once climbed through, the streets and the footballs which we once threw, the decks, the school desk upon which we once drew, the window that we the window that sat upon through we once flew before the outside world of parking spaces and dead friends came flooding on in. We forgot what we wanted and we became what we become. Waitresses and bartenders, city employees and temp positions. We are junkies and one kiss poems and we cry the stars as we write our scars onto dumpsters and electric boxes because the only thing that we can hear is our hearts and the only ones listening are the streets. We will return to this poem towards the end of the sermon, but the tension that the poet is putting forward is a tension that we all feel. The tension of growing up and, well, unfortunately seeing this world for what it is. For some of us that happens faster than others, but it always comes. The world is not the way it was meant to be, or sooner or and sooner or later we all realize that. I believe this is why Jesus says it is to have faith like a child. To have faith like a child is to remember what it was like when we were children and we had so much hope, so much more willing to trust, and so much more faith in those around us. And that is biological, right? When we are young, we have to depend upon those around us to protect us from this world, from the harshness of life. So we tend to trust in those around us and have that faith like a child. I say all of that because today our scripture points us to, well, a well-known place for a lot of us, a place of difficulty. And if we look at the Old Testament reading, we are in Exodus 20, which we all know without knowing what scripture that is, because that is what Moses wrote as the Ten Commandments. See, this Lord is, the Lord is giving us this BuzzFeed list of the top ten things we should be doing with our lives. And I'm sure that you know all of these by heart, but that for the sake of me being a good pastor and feeling like my life has meaning, I will read you, once again, your Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make or worship any other idols. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. You shall not bear false witness. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your neighbor. Right. So we have all of these rules. And there's a bunch of thunder and lightning. God is really giving Israel the old razzle-dazzle. And Israel, Israel, in the midst of all of this great display of power, Israel's actually scared. They tell God to speak only to Moses because if God spoke to them directly, they fear that they would die. 
So after this great display of that fear, that moment, Israel just followed the rules and they lived happily ever after, right? Of course not. So then what's the point of the Ten Commandments then? Well, it's not actually about setting, it's actually about setting some community standards. Think about where the Ten Commandments come from up in the life of Israel. They had just fled Egypt and they were on journey towards as God's chosen people to their new land. And well, without Pharaoh and Egyptian rule, who's going to tell them how to live, how to treat each other? Who's going to give them the foundations of their society? Well, God does by declaring to Moses these Ten Commandments so that Israel would be set on a foundation where a good and new society can begin. I want us to remember that word foundation. But we know that didn't happen. We know the story of Israel as a group of people just like us who kept missing the mark, which in archery terms is called sinning, and God forgiving them and continuing on. But at some point, Israel begins to get it twisted and starts to try to turn the, the Ten Rules, or Ten Commandments, the foundation, into a hierarchy of laws to follow, instead of it being that foundation for how they should be treating one another. And I do think that this is important because this plays into how we see the world today. When we see the world today as a bunch of rules to follow, then it becomes easier to justify breaking some of the rules as long as we feel like we're following the others. And the Pharisees felt this way. And some of those who were looking around at the time of Christ felt this way. So that's why you have this, have them asking, which are the ones to, asking Christ, which are the rules that they really need to follow? And Christ responds, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and being, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you actually follow all tens of these commandments. You will follow the foundation that God set for society. It's not about following one or the other. It's about trying to follow all of them by changing our focus to be on God and how we love ourselves so that we can love one another. But just as uh, with the poem that we started with, when we look at our lives, we can see how that society, this is not how society always functions. Like Israel, we sometimes try to justify trying to follow some of the rules instead of following all of them, because it's just so difficult to follow all of these rules. And I can relate that sometimes when I read through the Ten Commandments, it feels like there's a burden to follow all ten. The law of God becomes such a great burden to follow, so why even try? So many rules, so many burdens. And then Jesus said to them, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. When Jesus was giving a summation of the Ten Commandments, it was not to reduce our ten laws into two, but rather to free us from the burden of law, to follow God more faithfully, to set forward and clarify a foundation for us to follow, to turn the rules from a foundation that we turned into rules back into a foundation. And we begin to see that in our epistle reading today which serves as the main scripture for today. So I will read it. Philippians 3, verse 4 through 14, and I'm reading the NRSV. If anyone has any reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know that Christ and the power of the resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, if I somehow may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or I've already reached that goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Beloved, I do not consider the things that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And Paul is doing a number on us, and I want to unpack it a bit. So what we have in the beginning of this uh, scripture is basically Paul giving us his resume and why he should be viewed as an authority on what God and who God is based off following the law. He goes on to say that he is the best hall monitor that there ever was. That if there was an award for perfect attendance, he would have won it twice over. He was the best of the best. He followed every law. He was from one of the best tribes of Israel. He had given his all every single time, even so far as becoming an extremist for his faith, persecuting people and putting them to dead who disagreed with the church. He became basically Judge Dredd. And sorry if you don't get that reference, but I feel like it's a very good one. Anyways, so Paul's resume is so beefy. Which is basically that saying, if you wanted to somebody who should, who had followed the law and had re- reaped the benefits of it, I am your man. And yet, after all of that, after following all of the rules, knowing the rules, it did not give me the freedom that Christ has given me. In fact, all of it is a loss in comparison to knowing Christ. All of it lost, meaningless. All of the law, meaningless, because he had found the one who had written the law. This is an important shift from Paul, so much this is where he goes from Saul to Paul in his own personal story. And it should be a shift from us, a shift from following law, seeing law as burden, to seeing foundation of law by the one who wrote, wrote the law. In Christ, he has finally found fulfillment that he was trying to seek while following the law or the things of this world, the laws that we set up. This is where Paul gets riled up a bit. And he says all of the suffering and pain that he has experienced, he considers rubbish in comparison to knowing God. So the word that Paul uses there is skubalon, 
for rubbish, scubala. And this is a new word for Paul. It's not a word that he's used before, and it's not in a lot of contemporary writings of the time. It's actually a combination of a couple of words, one being waste slash trash. Another one is to reference the bathroom. So it does not take a lot for us to make a connection of what Paul was going for. He considers this stuff human waste in comparison to knowing God. But it's more of a slang term. So if we're really being real with ourselves, this is where a lot of scholars contest that Paul might have used something similar to what we would consider today a curse word or a slang word to make his point. He is taking the starkness of how great his resume was, how high we might hold those uh, authority, following the law, the fame, all of that material wealth, all of that stuff, how important that was in comparing it to a slang word that is so detested by humans and considering it terrible, worthless waste. He says it has been made worthless because the greatness of knowing Christ. The things of this world will go strangely dim as you stare into his wonderful face. Following the law is scubalon versus having faith in Christ. Dying to ourselves in the self-righteousness of following law and being resurrected with Christ. Knowing that it is not over until we experience death, so we must continually have this introspection to see if we're following law or following foundation. Hear that again. Are we following law or are we following foundation? To look at ourselves and see how we might be holding on to law and using it to justify ourselves in our lives. Because we follow some of this law and not all of it. Instead of following after Christ. Because the things of this world, the laws that we built up to follow, will not be what fulfills us. What will fulfill us is following after those who wrote the law. The foundation that we have in Christ. And this is a, a tension that will once again and again and again and again come up in our lives. No matter who you are, our minds, our egos, like the ability to point to the things and say, I did this or I abstained from doing that. We use it to justify ourselves, to make ourselves feel good. I would not say that this is not, this is inherently wrong. But what I would say is that if we depend on those things while looking over Christ's call for our lives, then we have missed the point. We have used law to justify action that may be against Christ or who Christ is or who the foundation is because we miss the point. When we lose our faith like a child and trust like a child, and instead we become, uh, uh, we, we focus on everything that we have done. That is when we begin to lose our way. And we see this actually in a little bit of the gospel lesson for today as well. In the gospel lesson, we have a familiar story of the vineyard where a landowner rids out his land and the tenants work the land. And since they did the hard work, they believe they deserve the fruits of their labor over the one who actually owns the land. So they kill the people who come to remind them that they don't actually own the land. And eventually, they kill the landowner's son so as to steal away the inheritance from him and everything the landowner deserves. But the thing is, they don't kill the landowner. The landowner is still alive. 
and he removes them and puts somebody into place, a new tenant, and that will respect the landowner's wishes. The capstone that was once rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is where this scripture is mentioned. And let's think about this. In the context of what we've been talking about for before, one of the words that have kept coming up is foundation. Foundation. And here we have in the gospel lesson, the capstone has become the cornerstone because it was rejected. Perhaps the old law rejected has now become the cornerstone as in the way that Christ and God intended us for us to live has now become the cornerstone so as we approach this lesson today there's this shift that needs to happen in our lives and we begin to think like we because this is what it is right we were the ones living here on earth We're the ones who are doing the work. We're working this land. And so we think to ourselves, we are the ones who should make the laws, right? We are the ones doing the hard work. Why should God get all of our reward when we're the ones doing all of this? Who wants to follow a distant, quiet landlord? And so we make our rules. Instead of having that trust in God, we say the things of this world, our hard work, will be the thing that satisfies us. Paul said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the hardest worker in the vineyard. And he says even after all of that work was done, and he feels like there is something he should receive, that glory that should be his, he says, you know what, all of that is a scubalon. The vineyard is a scubalon. For living with Christ and with God. The work of the vineyard is scubalon. For living with Christ and God. And this is where Christ is that capstone. And that law that was rejected. The Christ, the foundation. The one that was rejected has now become the foundation. Who God desired for us to be from the very beginning when Moses writes these Ten Commandments down. A foundation for our lives of loving the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, and being. And loving our neighbors as ourselves. That foundation that has been rejected is now the cornerstone of which we should be living our lives. We should reject the things of this world, the rules that we have maybe even made in our own religious authorities, and embrace a foundation that we have in God. The things of this world go strangely dim as we stare into his wondrous face. I don't want to say that everything in this world is scubalon, but rather we could not put our faith in it. But I would like to push us so that we can think that once we've embraced the cornerstone of who Christ is, we can create a new world that is built upon Christ and change the things of this world from scubalon, from that death, as Paul talks about, to joining in with the resurrection. We need to shift from thinking of the ways of this world, of gaming the systems of law in religious ways, putting our desires and gold at the feet of Christ, and seeing them resurrected, reclaiming our childlike faith and creating new things in this world that can be found in the eternal love of Christ. We can make a good world together because it does not have to be this way.
It does not have to be this way. Just because the world is scubalon does not mean it needs to stay that way. Hear me, church. Just because the world is crappy does not mean it needs to stay that way. Like I said, I was going to continue the poem by Anise. And I want to be completely real with you. Part of the reason I had to skip and break up this poem is because there's some more aggressive language in it. So if you check out this poem a bit afterwards, after you hear this sermon, be forewarned. The thing I do like about this poem, though, is this tension that Anise is trying to put forward about growing older and the tension to what we need to hold that keeps us created, that innocence versus the reality that life brings us into. And I believe that kind of fits us well here, right? Like there was a foundation that is laid in the innocence of Israel at the very beginning. And there's a foundation that was laid in us as children. And as we grow up and we make all these rules and trying to follow, we become burdened. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to reclaim that innocence. We spend the rest of our lives trying to reclaim that childlike wonder. Anyways, I feel like I'm rambling. So here I'm going to... End uh, Anissa's poem, Here I Am. Because every breath I give brings me second closer to the day that my mother may, de- may die. Because every breath I take takes me a second further from the moment that she first caught my father's eye. Because every word I carry is another stone to put into the place, the foundation that I'm building. Because the days can erase something that I never saw. All, what all of us wanted and what none of us got. What all of us had and have and what we all have forgot. That what... We all wanted to be something, that we wanted to become something, and it may not be the scubalon we once uh, through, though we've been when we were kids, but something is something. And like some may cats say, something is better than nothing. Feet are smarter than an engine, and dreams are stronger than thighs, and questions are the only answers we need to know that we are alive, so as I am when I have the mind of a child asking why is 2 plus 3 always equal to 5? Where do people go when they die? What made the beauty of the moon? What made the beauty of the sea? Did that beauty make you? Did that beauty make me? Will Will that make me something? Will I be something? Am I something? Amen. And please remember to wash your hands.